All right, well, if you take your Bible, go to Mark chapter 5 this morning, all right? Mark chapter 5, and we're actually going to cover uh, a bigger section than normal. This morning, we're going we're to cover verses 5, or excuse me, verses 1 through 20, um, which is really just one story about Jesus casting out uh, demons. This is the story of um, Jesus casting out the, uh, the legion of, of demons. Uh, now, if you are if you're watching us online, uh, what we've been told is that the, the audio is good, but uh, we're having some video issues, and so that might actually be better for you. Um, <laughs> but uh, so if you're here live, I'm sorry, you get me full up in, in an HD. If you're watching us online, uh, you, you'll just get to hear me. Um, but last week, we looked at Jesus. We looked at the Son of God who had the power to calm the wind and the waves, right? We saw the, we saw the disciples were first afraid uh, that they would be killed by the storm. And then they became, as we were told in, at the end of that passage, terrified because of the power of Jesus. Because they, they went from thinking they were going to be killed by a storm to realizing that they had uh, one in the boat with them who had a, a, a very uh, mention of some words. Just by speaking words, he was able to calm the wind and the waves. And that was even scarier than thinking they were going to be killed by the storm. So last week we said that every person has to ask themselves the same question that the disciples asked at the end of chapter 4. Who then is this? Who, who is this man, Jesus? What do we do with him? And today we're going to come to another passage that shows Jesus' incredible power and, uh, his, and God's sovereignty over all Things. What we're going to see is, is something we've seen before, but on a bigger scale. We're going to see Jesus encounter a demon-possessed man. And in this man's case, a man who had experienced more pain and more torment at the hands of these demons than maybe than, than we can imagine. And yet, what we're going to see is the, the Savior of the world confronts the demons within him, cleanses this man, and then actually commissions him to go out and be a missionary. So we're going to read a, a bit of an extended passage this morning, Mark chapter 5, verses 1 through 20. If you have your Bible, stand with me and let's read the word of the Lord this morning. The word of the Lord says this, They came to the other side of the sea, to the region of the Gerasenes. As soon as he got out of the boat, a man with an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. He lived in the tombs, and no one was able to restrain him anymore, not even with a chain, because he often had been bound with shackles and chains, but had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him, and he cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name? he asked him. My name is Legion, he answered him, because we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the region. A large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him, send us into the pigs so that we may enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. The herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. 
The men who tended them ran off and reported it to the town and the countryside, and people went to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs. Then they began to beg him to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that they might might remain with him. Jesus did not let him, but told him, Go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went out and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and they were all amazed. Let's pray. Father, once again, I thank you for the opportunity to be here. We thank you for the blessing of gathering to, to lift higher name through song and the blessing that it is to open up your word. I pray that each of us this morning would see the ways that you've worked powerfully to deliver us from the, the effects of sin and death. And even this morning as we look at a man whose life was ravaged by demons, we'd see your great power to cleanse him, to forgive sin, and then to send him out as a missionary, as one who proclaims the goodness of God. Will you show us how we've been called to do the exact same thing this morning? We ask all these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. And thank you. Take a seat. Um, so so here, here's our big idea for the morning then. Uh, those who have been saved by Christ have been sent by Christ to declare the gospel of Christ. That's why the, the title this morning is simply Saved and Sent. Those who have been saved by Christ have been sent by Christ to declare the gospel of Christ. And you'll see that that, that word Christ is, is uh, repeated there, that, that title. And that's important because we, what we see is that everything in, in this passage, everything that we've looked at so far throughout the gospel of Mark, Everything, when we talk about the gospel, everything centers around the person and the work of Jesus Christ. We're not saved apart from him. We cannot proclaim good news apart from him. So we're saved by him. We are then sent out by him to declare good news about him. The first thing we're going to see in our passage this morning is that Jesus has dominance over demons. And and this is laid out very clearly, verses 1 through 8. And so um, this is the the next morning after Jesus calms the the storm. So the disciples are still trying to figure out what on earth just happened. They get to the other side of the sea, to the region we're told of the Gerasenes. And as soon as he got out of the boat, this man approaches him. And all we're told at the beginning is that he has an unclean spirit. But then we're given some details about this man's existence. We're told that he lived in tombs, which according to the Jewish law would have made him unclean because he dwelt among the dead. We're told no one was able to restrain him anymore, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but had torn the chains apart and smashed the shackles, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. 
So we see that the, the, the demons had, had taken over his, his physical body to the point that, it, that he was able to just rip off whatever restraints people had placed on him. We're told night and day among the tombs and on the mountain, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. So we see something of, of the insanity of what the, the demons were causing in his life. You can imagine he was a, he was a person who uh, brought a lot of fear to those around him. People uh, didn't want to be around. Perhaps you can imagine mothers hiding their children, covering their children's eyes so they wouldn't have to look at this man. Now, in, in the Jewish Talmud, which is a, a collection of rabbis teaching about the law, so think of it kind of as an, an ancient commentary on the Old Testament law, um, that, in, in that document, there were four signs of, of what they called madness that were given. And th- this is, these are four things they said that would um, help you identify whether someone was truly mad or not. They would walk around at night just aimlessly. They would spend the night on a grave. They would tear their clothes. They would destroy what they were given. Now, in, in the life of this man, we see all of these and more. See, he would cut himself with stones. This is a miserable existence that this man was living. Enter Jesus. In verse 6, we're told that when he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt before him. Now, in in this case, we're not sure if this is the demons doing this or if this is the man. When we get um, the, the sense that that at times the two are almost inseparable. Now, there, certainly, I think there may have been times that in, in order to torment him more, that the demons allowed him to come and, and be conscious of what was happening to him. Told he saw Jesus from a distance, ran and knelt down before him, and he cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had told him, Jesus had told him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Notice Jesus' dominance right here in that the, this demon-possessed man runs, kneels before Jesus, and this demon begins begging Jesus, don't torment me. But again, we see, and, and this is important for us, that the demon absolutely recognized who God was or who Jesus was. What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? We saw that again back in chapter 1, verse 24, where that demon also recognized Jesus. And there he said, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Make no mistake, Satan and his minions know exactly who Jesus is. And know exactly the power that he has. But refuse to submit to his authority. So the demon recognizes Jesus, comes in, and runs to him and, and, and begs him, don't torment me. 
Compared to the power of Jesus, demons are utterly powerless. That's, that's important for us to know. Secondly, we're going to see that Jesus delivers. Satan destroys. Beginning in verse 9, Jesus asks him, what is your name? And man responds, demon-possessed man responds, my name is Legion, he answered him, because we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send him out of the region. A large herd of pigs was there feeding on the hillside. The demons begged him, send us to the pigs so that we may enter them. So he gave them permission. The unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs. The herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. Now, we see here, a, a, at least in the New Testament, what is a unique demon possession. A legion was a Roman military unit of about 6,000 soldiers. Now, I don't, I don't think we... We, we have to go extremely literal here and say, well, because they use that term, that means there were 6,000 demons inside this man. I, I think that's too far, but um, we certainly see he had numerous, right? And my name is Legion because we are many. So there were many demons that, that had taken over this man's life. life. Hundreds, maybe thousands is not an overestimate. It was a miserable experience. The demons begged Jesus, please don't send us out of the region. Instead, send us into these pigs. Now, there, there's some debate over in, in this region of the Gerasenes if Jesus is primarily um, dealing with a Jewish region or a Gentile region. Is, is, this, is this meant to address Jews or is this meant to address Gentiles? If it, if it is Jews, remember that pigs were considered unclean by Jews, and so no good Jew would have, would have had a herd of pigs. In this case, the, if, if these were owned by Jews, these, these owners had abandoned the Old Testament teachings about clean and unclean animals. But really, if you pay attention here, Jesus' concern is not with the pigs at all. Jesus' concern is with this man. Now, oftentimes it's asked, well, why would Jesus destroy this herd? Why, why would he destroy this, this property? And, and that really misses the, misses the point of the story, but it also misses the details of the story. Because if you notice here, Jesus does not cast the demons into the pigs. Jesus allows the demons to enter the pigs. He gives them permission. Apart from his permission, they had no power on their own. The result is that this herd of about 2,000 rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned there. And maybe what we're also supposed to imply from there is that the demons perished with the, the pigs. Now, if you look at this man's existence, what we see is that, that Satan and his demons have actually have worked to absolutely ravage this man. And with a word, Jesus delivers him from Satan's destruction. And Satan, his demons respond by destroying a herd of pigs. So what we see throughout the New Testament is that, that Jesus and Satan absolutely have different plans for your life. Now, now re really quickly, let me say that, that I don't think that's a 50-50 shot on your part, okay? 
I remember several years ago, a gentleman in Sunday school, not in this church, by the way, but a gentleman in Sunday school who would always say, well, you know, I just look at it as, you know, we're in the middle of a great war and Jesus and, pow- and, and Satan both have equal power and we're just waiting to see how this thing plays out, uh, to which I would as gently as possible say absolutely not. Um, and about three weeks later, we'd have that exact same discussion. Um, but that's not how it, like, the, the jury's not out on this, right? We, we, we know the end of the story. We know that Jesus wins, but, but we absolutely know that Satan works to destroy. Jesus offers us, offers us something far greater, and that is life to the fullest, life abundantly. And we see this several places throughout the New Testament, several places where the, uh, um, the plan of Satan is exposed. John 10.10, Jesus says, A thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and have it in abundance. John 8.44, The devil was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. 1 Peter 5.8, Be sober-minded, be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for anyone he can devour. Now, isn't it really good news that Peter didn't, didn't start that passage off by saying, uh, be afraid? Right? He doesn't say be fearful. He says be alert, be sober-minded. Because the devil's prowling around like a roaring lion. Now, when it comes to, to Satan and, and the demonic, there are uh, really two extremes that, that we can fall into, two extremes that we need to avoid, two traps to avoid. The, the first is to underestimate his power. The, the first is to say, oh, you know, he, he, he's not really at work, not even really sure the devil exists. Like, you know, do I, do I really need to worry about him? Well, the, the Bible describes him as a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. Now, I've said this before. Um, a lion and a house cat are similar. They're both cats. If, you, if you've ever gone to the zoo and watched, a, watched one of the big cats interact in the, in the zoo, it's, it's like watching a, a very large version of your, of your house cat. They, they have some of the same mannerisms. But all too often, I think we treat Satan like he's a house cat. Not like a lion. And I've said this before, but you know, it's one thing for me to go into my house and, and pet my cat. It's another if, if there comes news that there's a lion walking through the neighborhood. I'm going to have very different reaction to those two um, types of animals. So the first extreme that we need to avoid is underestimating Satan's power. He has power and he has a plan. That is to utterly destroy you and to destroy the things of God. The second extreme, second trap that we need to avoid is to overestimate his power. So yes, the Bible declares he is real, he is active, but his, his reign, if we want to call it that, is temporary and restrained. He is on a leash. And as we've seen in every 
demon possession and through, that we've covered throughout this gospel and, and everyone that we will see, the demons have absolutely no power when Jesus speaks. They have no choice. Jesus speaks, says, come out of him, and, and that's what's going to happen. They might fight, they might shriek, but there is no question about what the final result will be, and that is that they will be cast out. So don't overestimate Satan's power. Don't underestimate him. Take him seriously, but realize that he is He is on a very short leash. And finally, what we see in the passage this morning is that the delivered, the man who is saved, becomes a delegate from Jesus. Look at verse 14. The men who tended them ran off and reported it in, in the town and the countryside, and people went to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and saw the man who had been demon-possessed sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs. Then they began to beg him to leave their region. Now, the reaction of the people here is really interesting because you would expect to see the people rejoice, right? This, this man whom they've they clearly know because they, said they recognized him. They, they clearly know and this man who has suffered so long has finally been delivered. You would think people would rejoice, but that's not what happens. They saw the man was healed and instead of rejoicing, they become terrified. And so we're told they beg him to leave. Now, now in this case, there's some question. Are they, are they begging the man to leave or are they begging Jesus to leave? I I, I and kind of, I, I think we could have both here, right? What we see in the next passage is, is Jesus leaves, but we also see this man leaving as well. And what we also see is that apparently the loss of the pigs concerned the people more than the healing of the man who is possessed by demons. They cared more about stuff than they cared about people. What a sad commentary, right? This man who had suffered has been miraculously healed. You'd think people would rejoice. You'd think they'd be amazed. You'd think that they would, they would turn to Jesus. And instead, when, when, in verse 16, those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs. You're not going to believe it. Jesus, like just with the word, he cast these demons out. And do you know what happened next? He killed that whole herd of pigs. Can you believe that? Here we were just living our lives in peace. And he shows up and look, look at how he's disrupting things. We see no concern on the part of the people for this man who's been delivered. But the man who was delivered absolutely knew who Jesus was. And, and this man was not just healed spiritually or healed physically, but, but as we see the, the changes that take place in his life, I think we see that he was saved spiritually 
as well. To the point, verse 18 tells us, as he, Jesus, was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged him earnestly that he might remain with him. Jesus, I want to come follow you. And in the first case, in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus says, no. But. No, you can't come with me. But here's what I want you to do. Go home to your own people and report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. He is sent as a missionary. And in the, in the case of the Gospel of Mark, I think this is the first man, the first person who is not a follower of Christ who's been commanded to go and tell what the Lord has done for him. Isn't it interesting? We've seen a couple of places where Jesus gave very strict orders, don't tell anyone. Keep this quiet. In this case, he tells him, go, go to your home. Go tell those you know about what the Lord has done for you. Verse 20 says, so he went. He began to proclaim it in the Decapolis, which was a, an area of, of 10 cities. And he declared how much Jesus had done for him, and they were all amazed. He goes and he proclaims the gospel. This man who once was ravaged by demons, who, who would terrify those who heard him, terrify those who saw him, is healed from his demon possession, is saved from a life of sin and destruction, becomes a missionary. He was saved, and he was sent. Second Corinthians 5, we're, we're told this. We looked at verse 21 last week. We're going we're to cover that again. I'm going to back up and go to verse 20. Second Corinthians 5.20 says this, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, ambassadors, personal representatives, for Christ, since God is making his appeal through us. We plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is what this man went back to his home and declared. Folks, you're not going to believe this. I was, I, was, I was possessed by these demons and, and the, I would walk around and live in the tombs and, and I would cut myself with stones and I would shriek and, and no one could subdue me. It was an awful, miserable existence. But let me tell you about this man who with a word cast out all those demons who gave me a new life. I wanted to follow him. I wanted to get in the boat with him and, and become one of his disciples. And can you believe that he told me no? But instead, this is what he told me. He said, go home. And tell those you meet about what the Lord has done for you. And how he's had mercy on you. So I'm here to tell you today about the life that I had before. The life that I've had since. Jesus. This man shares his testimony, shares the good news about Jesus. We're told that all who heard it were amazed. Now, 
may, maybe you're here today and you go, well, sure, if I, if I had a story like that, that would be really great, right? Like, like man, if I, I mean, if I had this story of, you know, sure, I was demon-possessed and, you know, like walking around like a crazy person and, and Jesus delivered me from that, man, what a testimony that is. But, but understand this, your, your testimony is no less spectacular because your story, if you're a follower of Christ, your story is that Jesus rescued you from a life of sin and separation from him and gave you eternal life. And that's true whether you were saved at six or 60 or anywhere in between. Never discount the power of the story that you have of how Jesus saved you. How he gave you eternal life. Maybe you're here today and you'd say, I've never done that. I don't know if I've ever asked Jesus to be my Savior. If that's you, I want to show you how you can do that today. Have a prayer that, that we, we use this every week. There, and as I say every week, there's no magic words here. It's not a magic formula. It's just some, some words to help you um, wrap, your, wrap your mind around and understand what it means to ask Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. And it's simply this. Lord Jesus, my life is broken. I recognize, I realize it's because of my sin. I need you. turn. I believe Christ came to live, die, and was raised from the dead to rescue me from my sin. Turn from my selfish ways and put my trust in you. I believe Jesus is Lord of all. No, Jesus is Lord of all, and I will follow him. It's that simple. What's keeping you from turning and trusting in this Savior? The Savior who had the power to cast out demons with the word, the Savior who gave his life on the cross to die the death that you deserve because of the sin and wants so desperately to be reconciled to you. If you're a follower of Christ, this is the message that we have, right? This is, this is the, the, the mission that we've been given to be ambassadors for Christ, pleading, it says on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Last week, we, we saw the story of, um, of a man who was healed and the, and that was Wednesday. That was Wednesday night, wasn't it? That was uh, getting my, my Bible stories mixed up here. Wednesday night in, in our gospel project, we look at the story of a man born blind. Um, and so much was happening in his life and nobody wanted to believe it. And, and Jesus' response, or the, the man's response when asked how it happened is simply this. Uh, One thing I know. I was blind, now I see. That was his testimony. I don't, know, I don't know about everything else that Jesus, there's, there's a lot of stuff that I don't know, he said, but, but this is what I know. I was blind and now I see. You don't have to have 
deep theological answers for every issue that you face in life. You know, you know what your story is? And listen, I was separated from God and now I'm not. I've been saved through the blood of Christ. That, that's your story. That's what it means to, to tell others, to be an ambassador for Christ. And to plead, be reconciled to God. Do, he wants to do the same thing in your life that he's done in mine. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. I thank you for this story, for, for a man whose life was absolutely being destroyed by the power of Satan and, and sin. And yet with a word, Jesus healed him, restored him, saved him, and then sent him out as a missionary, as one proclaiming the good news. I pray you would help us as we trust in, as, as we seek to walk as followers of Christ each and every day, as we, we continue to trust in you. And as we have the opportunity to share that news with those around us, we wouldn't feel like we have to have a gospel presentation memorized or a, a, the right words, the right verses. It's that we would plead with those around us, be reconciled to God, and that we could share what you've done for us. For those in this room or watching online who maybe have never trusted in Christ Jesus, I pray today's the day. That you grab their hearts. Convict them of sin. And show them the great mercy and forgiveness that's available in Christ Jesus. That today, Men and women might move from death to life in Christ Jesus. Move in a way that only you can. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.